Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. So far, October has been quite lovely. I know a lot of us were all too eager to bid the hot, humid summer goodbye and welcome the fall and all that comes with it, including Halloween, witchcraft, and wizardry. But for some of us, this isn't a passing phase or a costume or persona once a year. In fact, Wicca and paganism is on the rise in the U.S. People who are Wiccan are part of an earth-based spiritual practice that falls under the umbrella of paganism. Some folks turn to paganism as an alternative to more institutional, organized religion. Today, we'll meet a few local practitioners and learn about their community, their beliefs, and what drew them to their faith. But first, Tennessee has a new attorney general. And fun fact, Tennessee is the only state in the country where the attorney general is appointed by the state Supreme Court, not elected by the voters. Jonathan Skirmetti will serve as attorney general for the next eight years. Another thing that sets the state apart. Last week, WPLN reporters Paige Flager and Blaze Ganey sat down with Skirmetti at his office to talk about his priorities and how he sees his role in forcing the state's abortion ban and laws targeting the LGBTQ community. So I'm like to welcome Paige Flager and Blaze Ganey. Thanks for being here, y'all. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So, you know, tell us a little about Scrimetti. What's he like, Blaze? Well, since graduating from Harvard Law School, Scrimetti worked in Memphis as a lawyer. After a few years, took a job as deputy attorney general under his predecessor, Herbert Slatery, and then got a job as chief legal counsel for Governor Bill Lee. And when he isn't focused on law, he's in Franklin at his home, being a husband and father of four. And one thing he really wanted to let me and Paige know during the interview was that he is not a politician. As you as you may tell, I, I don't talk in sound bites. Um, I did not have to run for office, and I think it shows a lot of times. All right, so Scametti stepped into the role of the state's top prosecutor pretty much right after Tennessee's abortion ban took effect. The law contains no explicit exceptions for rape or incest and a narrow defense for the life of a, the pregnant person. How will he enforce the state's ban, Paige? Yeah, so local district attorneys are going to be the ones who decide whether or not to prosecute cases under this new ban. And here in Nashville, our district attorney, Glenn Funk, has said many times that he has no intention of prosecuting abortion providers, uh, which could kind of put him at odds with the state's top prosecutor because we have a new law in Tennessee that allows Skirmetti, the attorney general, to step in and appoint a special prosecutor to take on cases that local district attorneys are refusing to prosecute. Hmm. Um, and so for the first time, actually, Skirmity, uh confirmed to WPLN that he would he would do so. He would appoint a special prosecutor under specific circumstances. But he's pretty clear on the fact that, you know, he is the person in charge of enforcing the law, holding people accountable to the law, but he does not set what the law is. Um, and so he doesn't have an opinion about this for himself, but he can kind of weigh in on different laws. And he says that he does anticipate that the legislature will 
clarify some aspects of the state's abortion ban, especially when it comes to exceptions for the life of the pregnant person. So Scrimetti is the state's top prosecutor, but he didn't really weigh in much about criminal justice, including a controversial new law called Truth in Sentencing, which deals with sentencing. How does he feel about that, Paige? Yeah, so truth in sentencing became a law earlier this year. It basically requires that certain incarcerated people serve out 100% of their sentences. Similar to his stance on abortion, Scrimetti was pretty careful to emphasize that he doesn't make the rules, he just enforces them. But like I said, he, he has the opportunity to sort of throw his weight behind different policy decisions. So when we pressed him on, on what he might weigh on, in on when it comes to sentencing specifically, he said that he might be interested in asking for kind of a more holistic review of sentencing across Tennessee. He says that right now the system is sort of like a patchwork and the state could improve when it comes to being a little bit more consistent. He raised some eyebrows last month when he joined other AGs asking for the federal government to classify fentanyl as a weapon of mass destruction, language that is very reminiscent of the government's 50-year-old war on drugs. Blaze, what did he mean by that? Well, he meant it quite literal. You know, when he said, you know, weapon of mass destruction, he's not trying to crack down just on fentanyl overall. He wants to make sure that if using a terrorist attack, um, that that would be the case where it would be considered a weapon of mass destruction. So what would that designation do? Would it make it easier to prosecute drug cases? Well, he's, he's you know, what I was saying is he, he's not really focused on drug cases as, as far as uh, charging, you know, people with small amounts of fentanyl. He's more so focusing on, you know, large scale um, use of it to try and harm a lot, a lot of people at once. And, um, you know, he's focused a lot of his time on the multi-state opioid settlement. So it's not really surprising that, you know, he's now targeting fentanyl, another opioid, and trying to find, find out uh, ways to prosecute people and just keep uh, people safe, ultimately. Paige, you asked him specifically about his decision to continue a lawsuit filed by his predecessor opposing expanded protections for transgender students. He said he knows a lot of people dislike these efforts, but it's his job to enforce the laws as they are now. You kind of put him on the spot. Let's listen. I guess I, when I hear you saying that, I see you looking at your kids. Are, are you, do, do you think about your kids when we're having conversations about that type of thing? I mean, I, you know, I worry about kids in these circumstances because they're still developing and in every other area of law, we are very careful not to bind children to decisions when they're still kids. I see what you guys are saying about his, his thoughtfulness and how he's trying to, I mean, it's an it's a, it's interesting situation and I myself being a teacher have been there having these exact conversations with teenagers. So um, yeah, interesting. You know, what can we expect from him as far as taking up this fight with the feds? Yeah, so Tennessee is a conservative state. Skirmetti is a conservative guy. Um, so we should sort of anticipate that he's gonna uphold Tennessee's conservative laws on things like abortion, LGBTQ protections in education, and most recently um, in health care. 
Because Scrimetti isn't really interested in pushing anything other than what's already codified in Tennessee's laws, he's probably going to push back on the federal government as they try to instill, you know, more progressive policies on the state. That is WPLN's Paige Flager and Blaze Ganey. They sat down with Tennessee's new Attorney General Jonathan Scrimetti last week. Check out the full story at WPLN.org. Paige and Blaze, thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll take you out to a Pagan Pride Day to invite a few local practitioners to share what paganism means to them. Do you identify as pagan or Wicca? We'd love to hear about your beliefs and what this practice is like in such a Christian town. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil E. Colonna, and this is Nashville. This past Saturday marked the 20th annual Pagan Pride Day in Middle Tennessee. The celebration started off in Murfreesboro in 2002 before moving to Nashville a couple years later. This year, our technical director, Michaela Elias, joined in on the festivities. It's an unseasonably warm fall day here at Two Rivers Park, and hundreds of pagans have come out to celebrate, worship, and meet other folks in their community. Everyone here has their own take on what paganism means. We believe that God is inside as well as outside. Just trying to make sure everybody has a good community time. We believe that's very important for the lifeblood and soul of everybody. And I just found that it is the most positive and kindest of paths. Now it's time for the day's main ritual. Welcome friends, family. That's Ira Eric's daughter from the Temple of the Rising Moon. I see lots of old faces and new faces. And this place has always brought me joy. But there's one very important figure missing from today's ritual. The park's central most tree, once a site of great reverence for the Pagan Pride Day, was torn down during the pandemic, leaving a hole in the earth and the hearts of Nashville's pagan community. But Ira's here to fix that with a white oak sapling. It will feed our wildlife. It will strengthen our community as the oak is the strongest tree in the forest. And it will connect us all in ways that we have never been connected before. She announces the new tree's name to the crowd, Dar, from the Irish for oak. She then invites members of the clergy to come forward and bless the new tree. May your, may your presence always be a joy in this community. So mote it be. So, so mote it be. Joining us now is one of the organizers of Nashville's Pagan Pride Day, Lucy Jamison. Lucy, welcome to This is Nashville. Thank you very much. Really a pleasure to have you with us. You know, first at the end there, we heard the crowd say, so mote it be. Is that a common phrase in the pagan community? Yes, it is. It's uh, a way to declare that something will be and something is. It's kind of like saying amen. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. You know, so tell us, how did our local Pagan Pride Day, how did that come about? Uh, well, there is a um, national level program called the Pagan Pride Project. And 
our local Nashville Pagan Pride is underneath their auspices. Um, we're pretty much independent on what we do and how we do it. There's only a few things we need to do. We need to do a food drive. We need to have a ritual, a main ritual. And we need to give the uh, national account of how many people show up and how much we collect it for charity. Mm. Was what we just heard the main ritual, the dedication of this new tree? Yes, it was. Okay. Now, I glanced at the event schedule, and it's quite a lineup. I got to say, yes, sir. Hammer toss, animal tales, mundane and magical. Something called hex appeal. I'm going to ask you about that. But and then there was a witch please drag show. You know, talk to me about what goes on at this event. It sounds like a good time. Well, basically, what we do is we provide a place for the pagans in the area to come together and see each other and socialize and do a little shopping. You notice we had a lot of vendors. Mm -hmm. on our list. Um, it's just like any other festival in Nashville. It's aimed at pagans, but anybody can show up. Um, What's going on at Hex with Hex Appeal? Okay. Uh, we have root workers in um, Nashville and Hoodoo, and the gentleman presenting that particular segment was a expert in hoodoo and work rooting, work root working, sorry. And basically hex appeal was talking about what hexes were, how to do them, when you should do them, when you shouldn't do them, mm -hmm. and what sort of uh, blowback there could be when you do a hex. Okay, so serious information. Pretty much, yeah. Now the day focuses on people being together in person. Tell me why that's important. Well, basically in Middle Tennessee, well, anywhere in the United States, but particularly I've noticed in Middle Tennessee, we have a lot of pagans that live in small communities, rural communities, and what have you, and there's not that many other pagans around them. Some of them never see another pagan on a regular daily basis, and something like Pagan Pride Day gives them a chance to connect and to understand that they're not alone, that there's others just like them out there. They're just in different communities. Now, do people who don't practice paganism attend Pagan Pride Day? Uh, yes. Yes, they do. Um, we don't ask them, are you a pagan? Are you not a pagan? But yeah. there are non-pagans that enjoy coming out and socializing with us. How important to you is it that, how important is it to you to help people understand paganism? Um, that's incredibly important to me. Uh, as a former Air Force brat, military member, I moved around the, not only the country, but around the world quite a bit. And when you move that often, it's really hard to maintain connections after they go to one new base and you go to another new base. And that particular feeling, I could see in minority religion practices in that we're so separated. We're so far apart geographically. And for me, making sure people have connections is incredibly vital to the health of the community. Now, in that vein, you know, it is true that there isn't one real definition of paganism. It's a very broad term and it holds a lot of meaning. So, Lucy, what does paganism mean to you? Um, 
Hmm. <laughs> that can be rather complex answer. Okay. I would say just as a very short answer, paganism to me is a way to connect with the divine, not only here uh, in the world, but also in the metaphysical and spiritual sense also. Um, it's a way to fill the need for spirituality that I have that I could not find when I was a Roman Catholic or a full gospel Christian. Mm. I'd like to bring in my next guest. Deb Moore is an interfaith minister at Union of Music City, Unity of Music City. It's a new thought church. Deb, welcome to This is Nashville. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Khalil. It's great to be here. So, you know, first, I'd like to get your definition of paganism. What is it to you? To me, paganism is a pretty big tent, but generally speaking, it's a way to access a personal spirituality using the earth primarily as a guide and the conduit for that type of worship. So kind of what Lucy was saying, it's a it's an avenue to tap into the divine. Absolutely. What do you think people misunderstand about paganism? Well, I think the biggest thing people misunderstand about paganism is they, they conflate it with devil worship. Mm. And as a good friend of mine who was a Wiccan high priest for many years, always liked to say, uh, we didn't invent the devil. Uh, Judeo-Christianity Judeo invented the devil. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, that's one of the probably the biggest misunderstandings, I think, is that it's a, equated with darkness or Satanism or things of that nature. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. We're talking this hour about paganism here in the so-called buckle of the Bible Belt. My guests are local practitioners Lucy Jamison and Deb Moore. So, so Deb, how is paganism reflected here in Nashville? Well, it's reflected in a lot of different ways. Um, I actually went through an interfaith ministry seminary program a few years ago, and we had a— um, we had a Wiccan high priest who was there for our workshop on earth-based traditions. And interestingly, he said that he had lived in Salem, Massachusetts, and Los Angeles, California, and Chicago. And he said the most vibrant pagan culture he'd ever encountered was in Middle Tennessee. Hmm. So I think you have this really rich um, underlayment of, of pagan thought and culture in this area. For the most part, it has shown up and it's been exercised in a solitary fashion like Lucy was talking about, or through festivals or meeting at metaphysical stores. Those have been outlets. And at Unity of Music City, where we are an interfaith, inclusive, affirming community, um, one of the things we love to offer to that pagan community is the opportunity to build community and a place where they can feel welcome without judgment. Why do you think that Wiccan practitioner said that Middle Tennessee was such a vibrant place for paganism? You know, I don't know, except I do know that there's a, a lot of it here. Um, and it's been here for, for quite a while, thanks to people like uh, Tish Owens, I know has been a leader in this community and people like Lucy who put on the Pagan Pride Day. But, I, you know, I think you find we have this, it was mentioned at the beginning of the program, how Christianity is on the decline. According to a recent Pew Research study, it's um, declining pretty rapidly. But people, that doesn't mean people don't need spirituality. Mm. And people are looking for more of a personal experience. 
Uh, I myself identify more as a hummingbird. I draw nectar from a lot of different flowers, Mm -hmm. but ultimately it's the same nectar. And so the folks who are practicing pagan spirituality are practicing spirituality that's really not that much different from other people who are personally engaged in their own journey. Lucy, what are your thoughts about the pagan community here? Um, I am very impressed with the pagan community down here. Uh, Before I came to Nashville, I lived up in Dayton, Ohio uh, for 19 years. And there was a, there is a community there. It is a very active community, but it took a lot to build up to where it is today. I was part of that before I moved here. Um, I am very impressed with how much people understand that are practicing pagans and how willing they are to get together and assist each other and be there for each other and pray for each other. Um, What do you think is attracting people to paganism? um, Well, the way I call it, there's a hole in the middle of your heart that needs to be filled. And for some people, paganism fills it better than any other religious belief system. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you grew up Roman Catholic and you're now Wiccan. What what did Wicca give you that Roman Catholicism didn't? Uh, well, to a certain extent, there's a for me, there's a more vitality than I found in the Roman Catholic Church. Um, the connection to strong goddesses was a lot more than I noticed. I, you know, I love Mary. I thought she was a, a devote. I was devoted to her quite a bit when I was a young girl, but Mary in the Roman Catholic church does not have as much agency as the goddesses in different pagan belief systems. Mm. And I think that's what attracted me more than anything else is the equality of the men, masculine and the feminine in paganism. Mm. Now, now, Deb, as a minister at an interfaith church, I wonder, do you really encounter people who do a mix of both pagan spirituality and traditional religions at your church? Absolutely. You're talking to one. Okay. So I think that I think one of the things about about paganism, um, it's kind of like the earlier segment was talking about how everybody defines it slightly differently. There's so much intersectionality, spiritual intersectionality. And, um, and so, yeah, I, at our church, you can just as easily hear uh, Jesus or Buddha or the phases of the moon talked about on a Sunday morning. And um, we respect those equally. So, yeah, I think most of our congregants um, are to varying degrees a little bit pagan and some of them, you know, some of them more so than others. What do you think that does for a person's mind state? Sometimes religions can be used as means of separation, but it sounds like at your church, you're combining different spiritual faiths faiths, or just giving room to all of them for people to really build community. What does that do for a person? Well, absolutely. I mean, it's in our name, unity. And I, I really believe that an interfaith approach is the future of religion. Um, in our society. And I I think what it allows people to do is to explore freely. There's not a prescribed set of rules or a a certain path. I always tell our congregants, I'm not going to tell you what path to be on. The best I can do is hold a flashlight and maybe shine a little light on what you're doing. Um, So, you know, it's that it's that freedom and it's that lack of judgment. Nobody, nobody grows 
under strict conditions, right? You want to have that freedom to kind of explore your own internal process with the divine. And I think that being able to dabble a little bit um, mm. is is really helpful in that process. You have a pretty robust online following. Tell me, you know, what role does the internet play in, you know, folks finding alternative ways to pursue spirituality and paganism? Oh my gosh. Some of my favorite ministers these days are people whose entire ministry is online hmm. and they're doing TikTok or they're doing Instagram or a combination of all of those. And they are reaching a group of people. I mean, there are so many disaffected people out there who feel like they don't belong anywhere, but they can listen to a, a voice on the internet that says, you know, you're okay, you're fine. And I'll offer some spiritual guidance as I can. Um, and I really think there's a, a the huge movement toward spiritual guidance uh, on the internet and through the social media platforms. Um, I try to use mine uh, responsibly. And I think most of the ministers out there are doing that to a great degree, trying to be very cautious and careful and support people uh, without bashing them over the head. You know, Lucy, what is right now, what is drawing people to paganism? Well, that's yet again another complicated question. Mm -hmm. I think that what's drawing them to paganism is the fact that they get to be themselves. They get to look inside themselves and find out what being themselves constitutes. Uh, like you were talking about our pagan pride day, we had belly dancers. Mm. We And we have a, a drag show, family friendly. Uh, we've had the drag show for the last couple of years. We obviously couldn't during COVID when everything was locked down. But we enjoy letting people express themselves in different ways and not to feel like, oh, I can't do that. That's that's not socially acceptable. Well, some people think drags are not socially acceptable. We love our drags. Mm -hmm. uh, we love giving people a chance to find out who they really are and why they are following the path that they're following. Um, we're very, as a community, we're very inclusive. We're very positive towards the LGBTQ uh, plus community, and we're very welcoming for people who are coming to say, I don't know what I want, I don't want to know what I need, but I want to find something. Well, this is what we've got. What would you like to know about so if anyone is curious, just come with a curious mind and an open heart, you're saying? Yes, sir. Now, I'd like to ask this the same of you, Deb. Weigh in. What, why are people really coming to the pagan community right now? Oh, I think Lucy covered that really well. But I think, you know, just to expound upon that, people are searching for something. Um, the Pew Research study that was just published in September showed that in the last 50 years, Christianity has gone from 90% in our nation to 64%, and it's projected to go below 50%. The group that's rising the fastest is a catch-all group called the nuns, uh, N-O-N-E-S. And so, but those are folks who are still, I mean, it's part of the human experience to want to feel spiritually fulfilled. And if I can, you know, everybody I think is, has a connection to nature to some degree. And when you can connect that natural love of the earth with a spiritual internal process, it's really fulfilling. 
That is Deb Moore, interfaith minister at Unity of Music City. She was joined by Lucy Jamison, coordinator of the Pagan Pride Day. Lucy, Deb, I want to thank you so much for this conversation. Really appreciate you both being on the show today. Thanks. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we will continue our conversation about what it's like to practice paganism here in such a Christian city. Do you identify as pagan or Wicca? Or do you have questions about these practices? We'd love to hear them. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil Le Colonna, and this is Nashville. We've been talking this hour about paganism. With hundreds of churches and some pretty deep Christian roots, our city is often considered the buckle of the Bible Belt. But traditional church-going Christianity has declined over the past half century, and pagan and Wiccan practices have been on the rise. Nashville is no exception. Some even consider our city the buckle of the pagan belt. Now, not everyone practices their beliefs in the same way. Some people are solo practitioners who follow a self-guided path. To go it alone or with a group is entirely up to the individual. And when it comes to spirituality, one thing that is constant is the individual and their spirit. It is a solo journey as much as it can be a collective one. My next guests are solo practitioners who have found their own relationship to spirituality. Harmony Dengue is a solitary witch and former evangelical Christian, and Addie Lopshire Brett is a practicing Wiccan who was raised in the press in the practice. Harmony, Addie, welcome to This Is Nashville. Thanks for being here. Hi. So good to be here. Yes, I'm <laughs> oh, it's so great. So great to have you both. Harmony, you know, I'll start with you. I understand that you were raised in the black evangelical church, but you left after a while. What was your experience like? That's absolutely correct. I was raised in the Black Evangelical Church um, since I had been about seven years old. Um, I'm very familiar with all the practices that go into that kind of belief system. It's very emotional. It's very dramatic. There are many things that happen in that environment that if you are not already aware of can be quite alarming. Um, People often get filled with the Holy Spirit and will shout and speak in tongues, which is kind of like a spiritual language that is not discernible. I've seen instances where people will roll around on the floor. Um, The music's very loud and bumping. It can be a a chaotic atmosphere full of this like ecstasy of celebration. Mm. So I grew up in, in that kind of environment and, um, I was deeply, deeply involved and completely absorbed in a lot of the practices, um, which now I have, um, left those practices. Why did you ultimately leave the church? Mm-hmm. I ultimately chose to leave the church because I felt like the doctrine that had been poured into me in that church was contrary to who I am as a person. Um, One of the major tenets of that belief system is that your natural body and the, quote, flesh is evil and sinful. And things that your natural body wants to do and things of the earth are demonic and contrary to what Jesus and God want for you. So every day they teach you that you need to be different from who you really are. 
another aspect that I experienced in that black evangelical church was one of fear. Mm. I was horribly afraid of demons and hell and sin. Anytime I felt like something bad was happening to me, if I had a, a bad thought about a person or wanted to do something that was contrary to what the, the preacher or the church was teaching, that I was going to be full of sin. And if I died, I would go to hell. I was constantly living in fear and constantly ashamed. I chose to be involved with someone sexually before we actually were married. We didn't even get married, but that's a huge no-no as well is, you know, um, having sexual relationships with someone that you're not married to is a, is a very big sin, particularly for women. And it had been poured into um, my brain that it's important to be a virgin for your spouse and your spouse should be a man because you're a woman. And they, of course, are against um, homosexuality in general. What did all a lot of this, them are as well. What, what did all this stress, this constant fear that you were a sinner, that you were going to spend eternal, your, your, the rest of your days in, in eternal damnation, what did that do to you? Yes, it was very horrible. I remember as a young teenager, probably about 13, 14 years old, there were, some, there were times I thought the rapture had come. Mm. And the rapture is a belief that um, when Jesus comes back, he's going to take up all of the Christians and everybody who is not Christian will be left behind in this time of tribulation, um, which is very, very scary. There are many times that I thought it had happened and I was terrified. I also carried around a lot of guilt and shame for, quote, sinning and, you know, feeling uh, heavy, heavy shame and guilt about that. So with me turning into my pagan practices, there is none of that, because as a witch, which identifies a solitary witch, we believe or I believe that our bodies are natural and healthy and the earth is a blessing and everything that's on the earth is made for us to enjoy. And the connections we make with people and things that we do are not evil and sinful. And we don't need anything outside of ourselves to change who we are because we are free to be our, our authentic selves. Now, you lost your mom a few years ago, which I understand played a role in the spiritual path that you're on now. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. My mom was definitely a Christian up to the day she died and identified as a Christian up until uh, the day that she died. She had a heart attack, actually. And um, I was the one who found her. And I wasn't surprised that she had passed because she had been sick. Um, and we actually had a beautiful celebration of life at her church. And um, the pastor's wonderful and the people were great and everything like that. But what does, what really opened up my eyes to, to leave um, Christianity and embrace this newfound spirituality of sort of a natural earth-based practices was really her demise, you know, cause I had, of course, you know, prayed and, and prayed and prayed for her to be healed, but that never happened. So I felt kind of a bit bitter about that because I'm thinking, oh, here she is, this good Christian, here I'm a good Christian, here she's sick and take it from me at 61 years old. You know, that's, that was like an unjust, unjust feeling to me. So I um, decided to embrace um, a newfound spirituality where I can celebrate, you know, the earth and celebrate the life and the change of the season and things like that without trying to pray to some external God for interventions um, or, you know, trying to do things the right way, you know, fast, pray, don't sin with the Bible, you know, do, do these doctrine things to sort of have a perfect life. Um, I realized after her demise that, our lives are meant to be enjoyed and we're meant to be our authentic selves and look inside ourselves for the answers. Mm -hmm. Now, Addie, yeah. you grew up Wiccan after your mom found the practice. 
So tell me, what did your mom teach you and your siblings about the practice? Yeah, so my mom was also raised Catholic, um, and she left for really similar reasons as Lucy and Deb were talking about, um, like not feeling like she was represented, being like a strong woman, um, and not feeling celebrated or respected. So really what she sought to teach us was everything that she was separated from in the Catholic church. So how to be responsible to ourselves, like the rule of three is a big Wiccan thing, but it's essentially just karma. Explain that rule of three to me. Yeah. So the idea is whatever energy you put out into the world, you get back threefold. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, you cut someone off in traffic, you're now inviting someone to do something worse to you. Whereas you let someone in in traffic and now you're welcoming back in charitability and generosity into your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously bigger things than just traffic, too. Um, but she really wanted to instill in us a sense of autonomy and our own individuality and ourselves being able to make decisions based on what we thought was right and what we wanted to do. Um, and, you know, she raised us with a lot of guidelines around that, like the rule of three, as in like, make good decisions, be good to people. But it was really just, it was the Bill and Ted motto of just be excellent to each other, (laughs) less than um, do the right thing so you don't go to hell. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so as you grew older, how did your spiritual needs evolve? Yeah. So I moved away from the Wiccan tradition. Um, Just, I'm not really one for rules. So (laughs) I identify more now as just like a solo witch. Um, But Still, like a lot of my practice is rooted in the defined rules of Wicca. Um, They're fairly general. Um, But as I've gotten older, I've realized like the benefit of being raised the way that we were because I have so many friends, especially living in Nashville, who grew up in the church and have since left the church, but don't feel safe talking to their family about where they are spiritually or just don't feel safe around their family at all because of that sense of fear and guilt that Harmony was talking about that's really been instilled into them. Um, So as an adult, my practice has gotten more explicitly political, I would say. Hmm. Um, I'm very much an anarchist. I don't like hierarchy. I don't want to have a priestess or someone to tell me how I should be experiencing spirituality. Um, and I really do think that everyone should be able to make those decisions for themselves. Um, so as I've gotten older, my practice has gotten a little bit more like raw, um, very focused on the earth and integrating uh the divinity of not just humans, but also trees and mushrooms and plants. And then even like the divinity inherent to things like rocks and the land um, is really, really important. And along with that, that comes reconciling some violence that's been done to the land and the people that originally were on it, especially by white people. Um, So my faith has been, or spirituality has been kind of a tricky journey to get to this point. Um, There's a lot of weaving in and out of trying to divorce the white supremacy that comes from a lot of pagan traditions that want to ignore the violence, the violence that comes with the stifling of pagan movements. Um, and then exploring more of my own, how I relate to the world and how I can build a generous and also intersectional relationship with the earth and the collective people on it. So this relationship that you have to the earth. Talk to me about that practice. Yeah. Um, I very much see the earth and pretty much everything as living. Um, for legal reasons, I'm going to say I didn't do this in Nashville, but I was on shrooms. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, you weren't here. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't here. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say Denver, where it's legal. Um, <laughs> and 
I had this experience of just like completely leaving behind my own body and my own boundaries of who I am as a person. And I like to joke that I made friends with the wind. Um, but my boyfriend will verify that I was just sitting on a balcony giggling every time the wind blew. Okay. Um, and just like, I, I had this very visceral experience of like seeing myself in a tree, feeling the wind on my face, looking at the clouds and being like, I'm part of something so much bigger than just me and then just the boundaries of my physical body. And because of that, I owe it to the world and I owe it to everybody in it to do everything I can to make sure that we all get to have this collective experience where we're all taking care of each other. You know, I too have had a similar experience in Denver, not Tennessee. <laughs> if you're just tuning in, this is Nashville, and I'm your host, Khalil Lake We're talking about the practice of paganism with Nashville Wicca practitioners Harmony Dengi and Addie Lopshire Bratt. So, Harmony, you also identify as a solitary or solo witch. You know, what's your experience of this solo practice? What does it look like for you? Yes, I do identify as a solitary witch or a solo witch. And it's great because it's really freeing. You can do essentially whatever you want. Um, like they said earlier, um, as far as with Wicca, I briefly looked into that, but there's a lot of rules and structure. They have their holidays and different um, ceremonies and things like that, and different um, sort of orders, which I think works for some people. And I do respect that. But I choose a solitary path because it's much more free and open. So I really focus my practice on candle magic, which would be, you know, setting intentions when you burn candles and, you know, um, a lot of mindfulness and astrology and tarot. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, we live in the city with very, very, very strong Christian roots. Addie, what is it like for you to live in a city <laughs> to practice what you're doing? Um, so early in my life, I grew up outside San Francisco, um, which is not a very Christian area, but it's also not a very witchy area. Um, so as a child, I thought it was so cool that my family was witches and I would tell people at school and people would respond with things like, oh, you're going to hell or like, why do you believe in Satan? And I'd be like, you made up Satan. I didn't. Mm. Um, but as I've gotten older, like moving to Nashville, I kind of learned how to keep it under wraps really until it had to come out. Um, it's not really something that I advertise a whole lot. This kind of being talking about it <laughs> publicly is definitely new for me. Um, I have gotten a mixed reaction of people like dealing with Christians and not. There's There's some churches around Nashville that are really welcoming and very much like, you can believe in Jesus. You can be a Christian witch. Um, and there's some churches and some people who really are not and who really think that what I'm doing by respecting myself and respecting the world is somehow sinful and wrong. Um, and my solution is really just I, I don't interact with those kinds of people or those places. I really do stay away from them. Um, so overall, I've, I've had a lot of success building my community in Nashville. And it's also just a very polite place. Um, so there's not... Typically, the response when I say I'm a witch and someone doesn't really get down with it is something more like, oh, that's great, mm. um, instead of the like, oh, tell me more about it. And that's kind of my signal of like, oh, here's a person who thinks that what I'm doing is wrong. Last week, we did an episode on Nashville Nice. I'm sure you've heard a couple bless your hearts here and there. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, Harmony, tell me about your experience living in such a Christian town. Yes. So it was a bit 
um, unnerving for me to come out as a witch. Um, I My primary outlet is through social media. Um, I have a lot of friends who are still Christian and identify and follow after Jesus and everything like that. Thankfully, my relationship with my friends has still remained. They've not uh, turned their backs on me. My dad and I are strained. We are not on speaking terms because he really rejects um, my practice, which is disappointing, Mm. but not terribly heartbreaking because I believe that this path is something that's been incredibly beneficial and freeing for me because it's where I can be my authentic self. Um, I actually, I have lupus and I had a, a stroke last year and is very, very sick. So I think experiencing that major, major life-threatening health crisis has really opened me up to realize I don't have to be ashamed of who I am. I don't have to hide behind closed doors and try to conform to somebody else's standard of what somebody else wants me to be or what I've always done. If I want to try this new path and experience these new things, why not? My life is meant to be lived. Now, I want to get back to something you mentioned earlier, Addie. Mm -hmm. There are some more recent practitioners of Wicca that don't have really a full grasp of what they're doing. And some of the practice has been co-opted by white supremacists. You know, can you talk to me about some of those links? Yeah. So one of the biggest things that um, you'll probably first stumble upon or stumble upon first when you try to find out any sort of white supremacy and which communities is the growing and harvesting of white sage. Um, It is a really endangered plant, and it's used in what's commonly called smudging, but smudging is actually unique to indigenous and native tribes practices. Um, So just one person walking around their house with a bundle of sage cleansing with smoke is not actually smudging, Mm -hmm. but you'll see them sold pretty much in any metaphysical store as being smudge sticks. Um, And it's contributing to this endanger, this the endangerment of the California white sage plant. Um, and it's a similar thing going on with Palo Santo. Also, the traditional use of Palo Santo, and again, this is a very Native American tradition. This is not a tradition that I participate in. Um, is you harvest the Palo Santo from trees that have died and fallen over and are no longer living. And now with the increase in visibility of witchcraft, um, you see people that are growing and cutting down young Palo Santo trees before they've lived their lives to harvest and then sell, which is kind of antithetical to the whole idea of witchcraft and having this like rooted in nature tradition. Um, And it kind of comes from that like white supremacy, that capitalist culture that's so baked into our understanding of everything in the world of like, you need to do things the right way. And this is the right way to do it. And we can make money telling people to do it this way. Um, Whereas like, what I do to cleanse my house is I'll get some lavender from walking around outside and maybe some rosemary from the grocery store and dry those out time together and burn that to cleanse out my house. And that's more of a Celtic tradition, which is more of where my lineage comes from. So that's tend to, tends to be where I follow. Mm-hmm. Um, but it definitely, a lot of the increased visibility of witchcraft and the trending of witchcraft has led to opportunistic companies and people trying just to make money off of it without trying to participate in the spirituality of it. Harmony, you know, how does the co-opting of it make you feel? Yes, I agree with everything that she has said before. It's very disheartening that it has become a sort of trendy um, thing. And it 
it definitely has potential to make a lot of money. And there are, there are many people who claim to be practitioners and who want to use um, the earth-based religion and the earth-based beliefs to um, make money off it and capitalize it. And it is, it is very distressing for sure. And ultimately what's painful for me is a lot of these natural um, practices have been practiced for centuries. Um, I'm a black American. And I know my roots are from Africa where specifically I don't know. Um, my husband is actually ivory and he's from the ivory coast and his um, native tribe is called Atie. Mm -hmm. So they have this whole culture, like subculture in the Ivory Coast, lots of traditional practices and beliefs. They have even their own language, right? which I find is so beautiful. And I really hate that for many um, groups that has been taken from then, it's been labeled as demonic or evil. And really, it's just a part of their identity and their origins. And it's something that should be respected and honored and not squashed. Now, so something that was mentioned earlier that I'd like to talk about is, you know, Lucy was talking about the hex appeal, this this practitioner coming and teaching about the responsibility of the work that is happening. Is that something both of you keep in mind? We have just have a minute left. Harmony, but the, the responsibility of the magic and the spiritual work you do, is that at the top of mind while you're in ritual? Definitely. It's important for me right now that I just focus on myself. I'm not trying to convert people. I'm not trying to convince people to believe like me. All I want to do is grow as an individual person into my spiritual path and encourage people to explore their own. You know, I've only read tarot for myself primarily. I've read for my husband as well when he's asked me to, but it's not something that I want to market and try to capitalize on because it's something, again, that's been um, very individual and personal for me. Addie, how about you? Yeah. Um, I'm so sorry. I forgot the question. <laughs> the responsibility yes, of what right. the, of your, your ritual work. I had an answer and then harmonies was so interesting. I got lost. Um, yes. Consent and autonomy are a really big part of my practice. So I don't really do hexes. I don't do spells on or for other people without their consent, basically. And the uh, root of the hex is not consensual. Um, so it's really, for to me, all about autonomy and taking care of myself and my own spiritual needs. And I will do healing spells, again, with consent. Um, but yeah, it's all about my own personal journey, really. That is Addie Lopshire Bratt. She was with Harmony Dengue. I want to thank you both for joining us and for sharing your beliefs. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. We want to thank everyone who tuned in this hour. Tomorrow, we'll check in on our bus system. It's been about four years since Nashvillians let the city know we need better buses. So, did the city provide? This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Our producers are Steve Harush and Rose Gilbert. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tuthope. Shout out to our intern, Tori Hoover. The masterminds behind our theme music are Lorange and Namir Blade. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at thisisnashville. Find us on Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekelona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.